If you are new with us, I just want to let you know we don't always have comic strip art on the overhead for the message, but we do try to use different art and different graphics to capture the title and the theme. So uh, I think probably our younger crowd would like the picture there from a uh, great comic book I found online. And it's a picture of the scene that, uh, that we'll be talking about today. We are in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, as we learn to be amazed by Jesus and freshly compelled uh, and refreshed in our faith to follow Jesus. Last week, we learned about Jesus, who is Lord of all, Lord of all storms and Lord of all nature and creation and therefore can give us peace as we trust in Him. This week we are following the story as that boat that was formerly storm-tossed navigates through the great calm that Jesus brought through His authority to the other side of the lake. And this other side of the lake is a different place uh, than Capernaum, which is their home base. It's a different country. Uh, They kind of go straight across a little bit south to an area called the Decapolis, that means ten cities. And this is an area that there are a lot more Gentiles, there are a lot more people who are not Jewish, uh, don't necessarily know about the one God, uh, are perhaps worshiping many different gods and doing many different things uh, in, in their spirituality. It would be uh, very different than their home base. And they go across and they have this encounter with this guy. Um, this guy who is a, a demonized man, we're going to learn about it. It's really something. Uh, it's quite a story that we're going to get into here. Uh, I thought uh, of titling the message at one point, Zombie Rescue. Um, and, and because uh, this guy in many ways resembles the, a zombie from the zombie genre of movie. Uh, and, and it's about a rescue. But I thought that might detract from what I really want to emphasize. And that is Jesus, not the zombie. That Jesus is Lord over all darkness. And, and this is quite a story to demonstrate that, the darkness in this man's life, how Jesus comes and exercises his lordship and brings a wonderful rescue. Uh, through this, we see who Jesus is. We learn that he is Lord of all. He's Lord of all darkness. And as you come this morning, perhaps you are struggling with some sort of darkness. Some level of darkness, uh, I would imagine, is not at the same level as this man and the darkness that he was dealing with, the severe demonization that he was undergoing. But, but really, to live in this world, and to live in this world as a, as a Christian, is to encounter darkness, to struggle with darkness at times. And there are all different levels of darkness, and levels of even demonic participation in that darkness. So this morning, maybe you're here, and even maybe right now, you're struggling with darkness. There's a darkness that's, that's in your soul, or trying to take over your soul, and you're just aware of that. Maybe this week, there were moments of darkness where you, where you struggled and you just um, despaired. You were tempted greatly. I think all of us have these moments and to all different levels, sometimes even very severe. And this wonderful story is here for us because Jesus triumphs over darkness. This story is not just about this particular episode. It's about Jesus and who he is and what that means for us today in our own darkness. So let's pray and ask the Lord Jesus to come, dispel the darkness, and show his lordship through his word this morning. Lord, we thank you 
that you are Lord over all darkness. There is no darkness to which your light cannot shine and dispel. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord and you come in to rescue this man and you come in to rescue us and you are here today, Lord, because you are amidst your people as they're gathered in your name. You are here to dispel darkness. So I ask you, Lord, to come in power and dispel the darkness. Show your lordship, rule and reign over all darkness. Use me as a preacher word. Lord, use your word as it is read. Use every aspect here to do just that for the good of the people here and the glory of your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's follow along in this story, this account of Jesus on the other side of the lake. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. God's word from Mark chapter 5. There's a tendency 
when we encounter these stories in Scripture today, to kind of uh, relegate these stories to another place, another time, maybe underdeveloped countries or a different time uh, in history. But this story is here in Scripture by the design of God. And these other stories about demonic encounters are here in Scripture preserved for us because God wanted them to be. God is all-knowing. He's all-wise. He knows what we need to hear. He knows what spiritual reality is around us. And he has determined in his infinite wisdom to preserve the story for us and even for us today. The reality is demons are still very active. There's a spiritual environment around us that involves evil spirits, demons. Now, there's lots more to the story about the spiritual atmosphere. Uh, Jesus reigns and rules. But the reality is demons are active, and they're active around us here in America. And I think as our culture continues to decline into a post-Christian or really pagan belief, we're going to see more and more of this. It's going to intensify. It's going to be something that's maybe right before us even more than it's been before. I think it lurks behind the scenes right now. And, and I, I have encountered things like this. I have read from others I trust about these sort of encounters. And actually one person I know of, a reliable person, said most people who think that they're demo- uh, demon-afflicted aren't. And most people who are demon-afflicted think they're not. Often it hides until something happens, like in this scenario where Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up in power, things happen, and there can be, and there are manifestations like this. Maybe not quite this dramatic, but like it. I know of accounts of of people, and I have seen people writhing, uh, people speaking. I've not seen people speaking, but I've read accounts of people speaking, and all sorts of things happen, cursing, a different voice coming out of somebody. These things happen. And I've seen the name of Jesus proclaimed, authority taken in the name of Jesus, and demons driven out, and people released from the torment they lived in. It's a reality. It's a reality the early church acknowledged, and and I had spoken about this before in another one of the stories in, in Mark, that the early church practiced deliverance for every believer. If you were going to come in the church, you had someone practice deliverance. or we, It's called exorcism at times, too, which, which means kind of casting out and, and uh, adjuring a spirit to leave, compelling it to leave. That's where the word comes from. And it was standard. Uh, I actually think there's a quote I shared before you can put up from, uh, from the apostolic tradition of uh, Hippolytus. And this is an early church uh, instruction from around two, 215, I think it is. And he says uh, in this instruction, moreover, from the day that they are chosen, so these are people who have come to Christ and and they're going to get baptized, they're they're chosen for baptism, let a hand be laid on them and let them be exercised daily. And when the day draws near on which they are to be baptized, let the bishop himself exercise each one of them, that he may be certain that he, the, the candidate, is purified. But if there is one who is not purified, let him be put on one side because he did not hear the word of instruction with faith. For the evil and strange spirit remained with him. So every single baptismal candidate, every candidate for the church was exercised, was prayed over, and there was deliverance ministry 
for them. And I think maybe that we should adopt this practice because um, things can go on. It doesn't certainly hurt if there isn't anything to pray over people. But for people that are struggling with things and are afflicted, this is, uh, this is important. Sometimes Christians struggle with this and they think, you know, it's only like if you're really, really like in a horrible lifestyle in a, in a place of unbelief would you ever have demonic influence. And, and that's sometimes uh, people struggle with the idea of Christians being afflicted by demons. Partly because the translation for, for demon affliction in Scripture is demon-possessed, like in the King James. And that's not a good translation, really, of, of the word. A better word is demon-afflicted, it's a, or demonized, a more literal translation of what it is. And, and people can be demonized at, on all different levels. Christians can struggle with this. And it doesn't mean that they belong to the devil in any way, but they struggle and they can be afflicted at all different levels, and certainly non-believers as well. And again, as our culture declines, this is going to be more and more of an issue. And so, it's, it's common. It's here in Scripture for us to instruct us and not to get us fixated on demons and all the details, but instead to put our eyes on Jesus. That's, that's the thrust of the story, that, that Jesus and who he is, and really the name of Jesus is no match for any demons or any darkness. So if you are here today, I want you to know that there's no match for the darkness. Uh, there's no match for Jesus. No darkness that you have in you can compare with the name and authority and power of Jesus. And you need not despair. Maybe you have. Maybe you have struggled. Maybe you've experienced an overwhelming sense of evil. Maybe you've heard evil voices and, and suggestions in your mind. Maybe even audibly or just constantly there and you can't shake them. We would love to pray for you in the name of Jesus today. And even as his word is preached, I would trust God would speak to you, provide for re- release. Sometimes people are severely demonized and don't know it because it's not that sort of scenario they struggle with. They don't hear evil thoughts. Sometimes people, though, who are captive to bitterness have demonic activity, and they think they don't know it. They think their attitude's okay. There's been some hurt perhaps done to them, some wrong. Maybe there's some jealousy that's in their hearts, and, and that jealousy and that bitterness has begun to define them and run their lives and rule their personality and who they are. I'm not saying that means you're demonized, but you can be when you're in that state. If that's you, uh, I would want to pray for you today. I want to call you to come to Jesus. Sometimes for people, there's been a great hurt in their life, maybe an offense, maybe something done to them. And as they've dealt with that hurt, perhaps they've dealt with it in a wrong way. They haven't turned to the Lord. Maybe they've looked at the hurt that was done and they've been begun to go inward or think it's, it's my fault and it wasn't their fault. There can be lies that are perpetrated to somebody who's offended and through no fault of their own. Lies that they live in and they begin to define themselves by those lies and demons can attach to those untruths. That's really the only way that demons come in and, and afflict people is they attach to lies. They, those are the footholds, the strongholds scripture talks about. We give a place, we create a house really for a demon to come and to live in when we give ourselves to untruths and we live in them and define ourselves by them. Now, doesn't mean for the person, for all of us, we struggle with untruths day to, day to day and even moment by moment. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when those untruths begin to define your life 
and you dwell in them and you're captive to them, then that's where demons can come and afflict to whatever degree, perhaps, that, that, that could occur there. We're not going to go hunting for demons here, but we're not going to turn a blind eye to their reality. And this story is here for us for just that purpose. And this story is here for us to teach us that Jesus is Lord over the very worst spiritual darkness. So let's dig in and learn about this. Jesus has crossed to the Gentile side of the lake. This is uh, a culture that is probably very far from God. Um, any culture that, that doesn't put God at the center and depend on him and define themselves really by God eventually will slip and slide into, into sin and into uh, broken lifestyles and twisted perceptions of things, and, and, there's, and it shows forth in all sorts of things, and all sorts of brokenness. Uh, brokenness in terms of sexual ethics, brokenness in terms of family relationships, brokenness in terms of societal interrelations, and so forth. It just starts to fall apart. Romans 1 teaches us that, that it happens for cultures, and it happens for individuals when God is not our source and our center. That's where you go. And so it's not surprising for Jesus to go to the other side of the lake that's mostly a Gentile territory and encounter something this severe. Because where there's untruth, where there's this uh, depart, uh, departing from God that goes on, that's where demons can have a, a hold. And so this story is in some ways a statement about the lostness of Gentile culture, of any culture apart from God. And so Jesus comes to the other side of the lake and he encounters this man. And this is an unusual case. This is a man who does not just have one spirit in him, but has at least probably 2,000 or more. The demon's name is Legion. And a Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers. Now this is the demon's description of, of itself and its, of its partners. So we don't know the exact number, but there are many. This man is oppressed by many demons. This man has, we don't know the background, but somehow he has attracted all these demons. And it, 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 Jesus talks about demons kind of going around looking for a place to settle, looking for a house. And this man, in a sense, I think about a, a crack house, right? A crack house is an abandoned house that is a, a, an appealing place for people to go and hide and do crack. And when people start to find out about it on the street, more and more come to that crack house and it, it attracts. Well, that's what this man is like. We don't know what God had started for him, whether he was sinned against and, and, and was hurting and started to define himself by lies, or he gave himself to some sort of gross sin, or he had bitterness, deep bitterness in his life, we don't know. But, but basically, he created a crack house. And the demons said, hey, come and live here. It's a great place, perfect place for us to dwell, to the point where it was jam-packed with demons. He's infested with demons. He lives among the tombs. Apart from society, he finds shelter among dead bodies in darkness. When anyone tries to bring him under control, and they do try, he wrenches the chains apart and he breaks the shackles in pieces. This man has superhuman strength. There's supernatural strength in him, demonic strength in him, but not for any purpose of good, but for evil, so that he might break the chains and, and run about crying crying out among the tombs in the mountains, cutting himself on stones. This man's life was horrible, miserable, lost, and dark. He was something scarier than any zombie movie like I Am Legend or World War Z. This was the real thing. He 
probably felt like a living zombie, captive to these demons, captive to this darkness. This darkness defined his life, and he was hopeless at this point. Have you ever known spiritual darkness like that? Maybe not to this degree, but similar. Have you ever felt so low that the world turns to shades of gray? Have you ever felt that God didn't exist, but what you did know exist was, was the evil and despair that you felt? Have you ever looked at the sin around you in your own life and just felt there's no way out? I only see sin. I only see failure. Have you ever struggled with addiction that controlled your life and defined who you are? Have you ever been in the place where there's just no peace, no joy, no hope, and maybe no love? Those are places of spiritual darkness. And we all encounter them to some degree at some point. Let me tell you one story from my own life. I was um, an intern. I was preparing to be a church planting uh, pastor. I had left, we had left a, a good job, a wonderful home church we loved, um, a beautiful house. Um, we had left all that to follow the Lord. And the Lord had made himself pretty clear through others through circumstances, through a number of things, and we, we really believed it was God. And so we left those things behind, and we were in process preparing uh, to, to be sent to plant this church. I was an intern, and, and I was serving uh, there and learning, and, and we lived in a townhouse. We lived in this townhouse we were able to afford, and actually things were pretty good. Uh, we had what we needed in our home, and food, clothing, shelter, a great church, and so forth. But anyhow, just to set the scene, we went out this Monday, particular Monday, for uh, family time. Monday was my day off. Went out for family time in the morning, and we didn't have a yard. We were in a townhouse community. So we went to a park, and we played hide-and-go-seek uh, with the family. The kids were 13 down to 6, I think, at the time, so they were younger. Um, and uh, we just had a great time, actually. Came back, I think had a meal, and you know, did some other stuff. And then I took a nap Monday afternoon. By the way, for many pastors, I, I, I don't tend to struggle with it this way, but many pastors, Mondays can be the place of spiritual darkness and temptation. Well, that was what happened with me. I woke up from my nap. And in those waking moments before I had full consciousness, this, this question, this, this assertion came to my mind with power. And it was this, what have you done to your family? You gave up all those things for nothing. They have to play in a park because you don't own anything. And you're going to fail. And you're going to ruin their lives. What have you done? That thought came pretty much like that. But it didn't just come because they might think, well, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, come on, just wake up and look around and see that that's not true. I was partially asleep, and it came with power. And I listened to it. And I believed it. And at that moment, I had this sense of darkness and despair that I don't think I've ever had in my life. I had some things as a child, some demonic encounters. Uh, it was akin to that, but perhaps worse than anything I'd ever had. There was despair. And then I started despairing that I was despairing. I was like, I'm despairing, and I'm supposed to be a pastor. Oh, no, I'm not. And now it's self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I'm not going to be all, I'm going to fail because I'm despairing. And, and this downward spiral and just about crashed. I experienced feelings that would be akin to a, 
an anxiety attack or even a nervous breakdown. That's what it felt like. Now, the rest of the story is God worked a process of freeing me from that, but I struggled even for months after that. I would have these moments again where that temptation would come and those feelings would come again. That's one story of spiritual darkness that I encountered. You probably have your own story. And I want you to know, and I want to live in this truth too, that Jesus is Lord over the worst spiritual darkness. He is greater than the darkness. He rescued me from that. He's rescued me from that. He will rescue you from that. So Jesus shows up, and this man's life changes forever. This man who had no hope, who was controlled by these demons, who was defined by the darkness, he, he comes to Jesus. He actually runs to him as he sees him from a distance. And I thought, you know, imagine what it would be like to be the disciples. He, you're in the boat, and Jesus is on the shore. Maybe you're not even out of the boat yet. And this zombie guy comes running from a distance. He's naked. He's cut. He's crazy looking. Probably has uncut hair, long fingernails, and he's probably raving mad. Comes running to Jesus, yet Jesus stands there unafraid. The man falls at his feet and says, What have you do to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Yells that out with a loud voice, and not, probably not a voice that belonged to the man. And then says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. In other words, I, I call you to swear by God, you won't torment me. It's interesting, the demon comes and recognizes who Jesus is. He knows who he is. He knows this is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God. This is God in the flesh who's here now. The demon is petrified at who is right there in front of him. The demons are petrified. This is Jesus, Son of the Most High God. And they are concerned that Jesus would torment them. It says in Luke, in a parallel account, the demons say that, and they say, have you come here to torment us before the time? So Luke records other aspects of what they say. Before the time, they realize, and they know a little bit of God's plan, that God is coming to judge demons as angels who have rebelled against him and who have worked against him and his people. He will come to judge and to punish them with everlasting punishment. And they, they see Jesus here. They know who he is. They know that he's God in the flesh. And they're probably trying to exert some sort of control over him. There's uh, in Scripture and in, in spiritual warfare the, the idea of naming a name to get control over someone else. Uh, a name in Scripture means more than just someone's name. It kind of speaks of who they are. And it's likely that they are trying to somehow exert control over Jesus, which is ridiculous. But they know who he is. Even though many others don't quite know who he is, the demons in the Gospel of Mark do know who he is. They know that this is not just another rabbi. This is not just a moral teacher. Not just some sort of influence for good. This is God in the flesh. God himself, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, the Most High, the ruler of the universe, Lord over all darkness, right there in front of them. And there is no demon, no darkness that can stand before Jesus. Jesus has been commanding the demons to come out, it says. And now it's Jesus' turn to take authority. And so he says, what's your name? I'm a legion, for we are many. 
And they are concerned that Jesus will throw them into the abyss, it says, it says in a parallel, I think in Matthew. They're concerned. Jesus has come to bring final judgment or to bring judgment and put them in the abyss. In Scripture, the abyss is the place, it's the prison for evil spirits. You can read about it in Revelation 9 and 20 and elsewhere in Scripture. And so they ask permission to be sent into this large herd of pigs nearby. 2,000. This is a big herd of pigs. And I'm sure it was just a huge, smelly, dirty pack of pigs. Pigs smell. I've never met pigs that don't smell. Now maybe there's a way to make them not smell. And, and as we read the story, you might be thinking, what? Why the pigs? The poor pigs. I mean, I've seen Babe and Charlotte's Web. I mean, these are, oh, why do this to the pigs? Well, in our culture, uh, perhaps we have a hard time with this idea of, of pigs somehow suffering in this. And, but that wasn't the context in Jesus' culture. The view towards pigs was very different. So there's some ideas I think that are important for us to understand. First, in their culture, pigs were unclean animals. They were forbidden to touch them or be around them, certainly to eat any of their the food products from them. They were unclean. And they were a picture of what life is really apart from God. Uncleanness. Being separate from God. And so Gentiles raised pigs because they didn't care about God. They defined life on their own. So, so it was associated with uncleanness and separation from God. They kind of would have viewed pigs kind of how we view cockroaches. That was the mindset. Now Jesus also is Lord over all animals. He can choose when their time is up. We just lost our dog yesterday. He makes that choice. He creates them. He can take their life away. So we can understand that. But Jesus is doing something in this. He's making statements when he drives these demons out and they go into the pigs. He's making a statement about the uncleanness, the separation of this culture from God. They, they raise pigs and those are unclean and demons are unclean. He comes as the one to deliver people from uncleanness so that they might be delivered from darkness. He's making that statement. He's also foreshadowing, most likely, the final judgment. In the final judgment, Jesus will return, and he will judge all, and he will judge all evil spirits, and they will be cast also into a lake. Not the lake of Galilee, but the lake of fire. He will send them all into the lake, banishing them forever. And I believe also finally he's laying down a challenge of sorts to these Gentiles saying the choice is a savior who delivers from uncleanness and darkness or swine and all that you knew. I come here as Lord of all. I'm Lord over your herd. I'm Lord over your lifestyle. And I'm calling you to myself to make a choice. So he lays down through this a choice for the herdsmen. that they might choose the Savior over the swine. There's a lesson in that for us. Because if you are afflicted by evil, often behind it is a choice. Swine or Savior. A choice, your lifestyle that led to that, or the unbelief that you have, or the, or the lies that you've found are now your friends. A lot like the herdsmen had made those pigs their friends. 
to live there or to live in Jesus, to put your faith in Jesus. You have a choice as well. We all have a choice. And often behind demonic affliction and darkness is that choice, that simple choice. I want swine. Do I want the fleeting pleasures of sin or or the comfort of the old lies that I'm used to? Or am I willing to give all that up to find my life in the Savior? Those can present, that question can be presented to us in many ways. I have a friend who uh, was a lead pastor of a church. They called him there to help the church grow. He's a gifted man. And as a result of his ministry, the church grew. Then the church made a decision. You know what? We really don't like this growth thing. We like it the old, comfortable way, just the few and the old things. And, and they fired him. Sadly, in some ways, I don't know if I'd call it, call it quite swine, but they chose swine over Savior. So those choices are always there for us. And the Savior presents himself as the answer that we might put our hope in him. So, that choice we are called to. And these people here in the story uh, reacted to it. The pigs were driven off the cliff and drowned, and the herdsmen fled. And I understand them fleeing because they had seen some pretty incredible things. They had watched this, the old familiar zombie guy who they probably kept a healthy distance from be transformed by Jesus, and they watched their their livelihood be thrown into the lake. And so they fled, and then they told everybody about what happened, wherever they went. So the people come, and, and there are these three reactions as a result of what Jesus did. Three reactions. The people come, and they see what's happened. And they see the man there with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He's a different person. And it says they were afraid. They were afraid about what happened. Now you think they would have come. You, you think it would, wouldn't it have made sense? They heard the story and, you know, certainly probably outraged by losing their pigs, but they come in and they see what happened. You think they would have said, wow, there's someone here that can do what we could never do. This man, this man was so strong. He broke chains and broke shackles and we knew about him. He, he was crying out on the mountains and the tombs, and we knew him, and there was someone who came and delivered him from that great evil. Oh, I need help for deliverance from the evil in my life, or I have a friend who's demonized, or I have someone at home who's sick. I'm going to come now and bring him to Jesus and find relief and find deliverance. You think that would be their reaction, that they would understand who this is, that even though they had lost their pigs, there was something better there, right there in front of them. You you would think, but they didn't react that way. Their reaction is tragic. Maybe the demons left the pigs and went on to them and caused this. We don't know. But, but But they, instead of looking to Jesus, they beg Jesus to depart. A lot of begging in this passage. The demons beg for something earlier. Now these guys beg. Jesus, please leave. We don't want you. We don't want your lordship. We want the pigs. We'd rather have the pigs and the zombie man than you. That's what they essentially say. Sad, tragic. Where are you today? Are you like the people? 
You'd rather have the darkness and your old livelihood than Jesus? I want to encourage you to consider Jesus. I want to call you to consider him. The one who's Lord over all darkness and who can deliver you from the darkness. The one who can free you. The one who not only is Lord of darkness, but himself came and took darkness upon himself on the cross. Took your sins on himself on the cross and died for your sins so you could be forgiven for every offense against God, every evil, every reason for guilt before God, cleansed away. And as you put your faith in that Jesus, find yourself beloved, clean, knowing God and experiencing eternal life. That's what he offers to you. And I just encourage you to choose that versus perhaps what you've known before. So there's the people and the way that they react. Next, there's the man himself. There's the man, and he was formerly uh, demonized. He's now the free man, and he begs Jesus for something else. He begs Jesus to go with him. He has the total opposite reaction to the people, doesn't he? He wants to go with Jesus. They beg him, please leave. He says, can I come? You've changed my life. There was only darkness and despair, and now there's hope, there's peace, there's joy, there's love. Things are all different. He's in his right mind. He wants to follow Jesus, and that makes sense. But Jesus says, no, I'm not going to take you with me. Now, that's not because Jesus is cold and uncaring. No, Jesus has a mission for this man. Jesus is going to be with him. God is omnipresent. There's no departing from God. God will be with him. And he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Go home and tell your friends. Go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you, how much the Lord has done for you, and how he's had mercy on you. That's what I want you to do. And that's what the man does. He goes and he tells. He tells everybody, his friends, everybody, how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. How much Jesus had done and how he had had mercy on him. And people marveled. Are you like the man? Maybe you're like the man before he was delivered. Maybe you're in the middle of your darkness right now. You're struggling to believe that there's any hope. This story is here for you, and you are here today for this reason, because God wants to say to you, there's hope in Jesus, and he is Lord. And no matter what darkness you might struggle with, he is there for you, to deliver you, to be with you, to give you hope and forgiveness. And I would love to pray for you at the end of our time, if you're in that place. There'll be others, some of our leaders can be here, available to pray. We would love to pray for you. Whatever your spiritual darkness might be, now is the time, now is a good day, this day, as you hear this message, to come and get free. So come up afterwards so we can pray for you. Maybe you're like the man after he was delivered. Like today, you're just aware, you know what, for the most part, I'm free. I struggle a little bit, but I'm free. And he's come and changed my life. What's the call to you? Well, it's just the same call that 
was to the man, if the man could come up as we close. The same call. Go tell someone. Go tell someone. Go tell someone how much Jesus has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And you know more than this man knew at the time because you know that that mercy was not just deliverance from darkness and struggles with demonic oppression perhaps, but deliverance from your greatest problem, alienation from God. That he has come and shed his blood for you. So you stand today forgiven and beloved. The father looks at you as he looks at the son and says, this one's clean and beloved and part of my family and with me forever. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We're with him. We're his. We belong to him as we live in him by the faith that he grants us. So maybe that's where you are. So do what that man did. Tell someone. Tell anybody who will listen. Look for any opportunity to love others in his name, to bless them so that you might share with them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus is Lord over all darkness. Let's stand and worship our Lord this morning. Lord, we thank you that you are Lord over all darkness. We thank you for the victory we have in you. And and now, Lord, I ask you to come and visit us in power. Lord, if there be any here who are caught up in spiritual darkness, we ask you, as those who have been freed, for power and your presence. Would you minister freedom? Would you deliver? Would you cause those who would rather swine than the Savior to see the foolishness and to trust in you, to look to you? And Lord, would you give joy to your people who know freedom to be filled and to tell others, we pray. Amen.